Wow. What a powerful story. Amen? Amen. Maple Grove, welcome to week two in our new series, Grace is Greater Than. And you guys know your line three times and I get to move on. Grace is greater than. Grace is greater than. Grace is greater than. Amen. Now this morning's conversation is grace is, is greater than our hurts. Question, got any? Got any hurts? Any old ones? Any fresh ones? Any deep ones? Maple Grove, have you been hurt? Are you in a place of hurt right now? I mean, are you right now in that deep, draining, depressing, depressing, deflating, defeating, dark place where the only way out is through the power of forgiveness? Grace is greater than our hurts. You know your line three times, we move on. Grace is greater than I didn't even count. Grace is greater than Grace is greater than Grace is greater than Amen. You see the basic premise of the series is that no matter what no matter what you put on the other side of that equation, grace is greater than. Amen? I understand grace is one of if not the most powerful force in the universe. Now, last week we began by talking about how grace is greater than our mistakes. It's, it's greater than our failures, than our shortcomings, than our missteps. Grace is greater than our sins. I, I understand, whatever the sin is, uh, grace is greater than. Whatever the sin is, whatever sin comes into your mind, what, whatever mistakes you've made, whatever you most regret, whatever seizing of life you like to pretend didn't happen, whatever secret sin you so desperately tried to hide, whatever mistake, whatever failure has caused you to feel the most guilt and the most shame, I stand before you based on the authority of the Word of God to tell you good news of great joy that grace is greater than. Grace is greater than Grace is greater than. Now, now I, I don't know what you would put in that blank, but, but I would like you just for a moment to fill in that blank in your own mind, to, to think about it. Again, I, I don't know what you would write. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what sins you've committed or mistakes you've made. I, I don't know what failures you carry. I, I don't know what regrets that keep you a, a, awake at night. I, I don't know what secrets you keep. But, but, but here's what I do know. I, I know this equation. And I know that whatever it is, grace is greater than. Uh, whatever it is, grace is greater than. Whatever you put in the blank, whatever I put in the blank, grace is greater than. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That he would take our place that he would bear our cross, that he would lay down his life, that we would be set free. Jesus, I sing for, right? All that you've done for me. Brothers and sisters, remember that getting grace, getting grace equals changed lives and the bearing of fruit all over the world. Now, would anybody like that in their life? Anybody like to see changed lives? Would anybody like to see fruit being born all over the world? Uh, but understand that the tragic truth is that many, even those who attend church, even those that are part of a faith community, unfortunately, sometimes miss grace. And how do we know? Because of what I call the missing grace equation. See, missing grace equals bitterness, trouble, and the contamination of many. 
And the contamination of many is the spread of your ungracelessness, right? Not sure it's a word, but it sounds like a good one, right? The spread of your gracelessness. Brothers and sisters, listen, listen. When you, when I really get grace, the heartbeat of our life is, is, is done, not due. The focus of our life is inward, not outward. When we get grace, the foundation of our life is relationship, not rules. The motivation why we live the way we live is not shame, and we're motivated by gratitude. The feelings that we have are not fear and frustration. The feelings of grace are freedom, and the outcome is not pride and guilt. The outcome is love, love for God and love for other people. Bottom line, Maple Grove, if you've experienced God's grace, if you're part of, of that community, then you know that, that, that it's like we've all been given a life sentence and then we've been set free. It's like we've all been diagnosed with a, with a terminal disease and someone gave us a cure. It's like we've accumulated this mountain of debt and someone has forgiven all that debt. And of course we're going to celebrate that. Of course we're going to be joyful and sing about that. Uh, Maple Grove, we need to become... A community, we need to become a community that regularly and vigorously celebrates the grace of God. We need to become a community that regularly and vigorously celebrates the grace of God. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You know what I'm saying? It's incredible. That's just for a memory note, right? Do not, cop, do not try that at home. I think I hurt my ACL here. I'll go. Anybody got a stool out there? And listen, here's what we're going to do today. We're going to flip over the grace coin. We're going to talk about messy grace. Now, understand when you're on the receiving end of grace, it's all good, right? I mean, we like that. We love to talk about that. We love to sing about that. We love to wear T-shirts about that. Uh, we love to memorize verses about that. However, when the conversation changes to having to us having to give grace, things get a little messy, and it gets a little bit hard. You see, grace is an awesome and a fun and joyful concept, as long as we're not talking about extending grace to the father who, berate, who berated us or the spouse who cheated on, on us, as long as we're not talking about the boss who fired you, the coworker who stabbed you in the back. Grace is awesome as long as we're not talking about the relative who abused you or the friend who betrayed you. I, I, I mean, grace is such a fine idea as long as we're on the receiving end. But grace gets a whole lot messier when we're called to give it. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 10, that every heart knows its own bitterness. What, which basically means that all of us have hurt. I understand, you can look around this room, every single person in this room has hurt, without exception. And now maybe you were betrayed, abandoned, abused. Maybe you were ignored, rejected, embarrassed, bullied. Maybe somebody gossiped about you, slandered you, behind your back, told lies about you, and, and some people who you once considered friends believed those lies, and they now have turned their backs on you. Or maybe like, like, like Mary Bird in the video we just watched, maybe the pain that you have comes not because somebody did something to you, but because somebody did something to somebody that you love. 
Bottom line, when we are hurt, grace starts to get messy. And here's what we're going to do today, February the 7th, 2016. And I, I like to give the date, in case you didn't know it. No, I like to give the date because some of you sitting here are going to say, you know, wow, something happened. Something happened. I discovered today in a very real way that grace is greater than my hurts, and it changed everything. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to unpack a parable Jesus said in Matthew 18, the parable of the unforgiven servant, the unmerciful servant. You know, and, and, and as we unpack these words from Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus our what? Our Lord and our Savior. Maple Grove, we believe that Jesus is our Lord, that, that he's the boss, he's in charge, not us, and that he's our Savior, he's the only one that can save us. We're going to learn that, that grace is only grace if it goes both ways. I understand biblical grace, the grace that comes from God, the only way that it is really God's grace, the only way that it's really grace from God is if it goes both ways. You see, if all we do is receive grace, but we don't give grace, then we're falling woefully short of what grace really is. If all we do is receive grace, but we never give grace, we have fallen woefully short of what grace really is. Get it? Good. And so... and, and, I, and I want to say from the beginning of this message, right up front, so that no one misses it, that no one misunderstands it, that no one um, misappropriates our conversation. I, I, the thing I, I want to make perfectly clear for me, for you, and for the person to your right and left is this, and, and, and I'm about to say a couple things that are going to make some people very uncomfortable, and I'm totally okay with that, because what I'm about to say makes me very uncomfortable and I, I, I love to share my discomfort with my brothers and sisters in Christ. It's one of my spiritual gifts, right? N- n- number one, our giving of grace to those who have hurt us reveals how much grace we have really received from God and how much we're kind of just faking it. Let that sink in. And second statement is we understand Get and experience God's grace only to the degree that we're willing to extend grace to the one who hurt us the most and deserves it the least. Maple Grove, that's when you know it's real. That's when you know God's grace is real in your life, when you're called to give grace to someone who doesn't deserve it, to someone who's really hurt you, and you actually give it. You see, we have been saved by, by, by grace through faith. Cuts both ways. I understand. Uh, we experience God's salvation not just when we receive grace. We also experience God's salvation in its fullness when we actually give grace. Question, who, who, who has hurt you the most in your life and deserves grace the least? I mean, when I say that, do, does anyone's face, does any situation, any painful experience come flashing into your mind? And here's how the passage in Matthew 18 starts off. Peter comes to Jesus with a question. Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, now I think this question was prompted by two things. Number one, Uh, The teaching that Jesus had just given on what we are commanded to do 
whenever we have an issue with someone or someone sins against us. See, first, we are commanded by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When someone, you ever have an issue with anybody? Anybody ever hurt you, right? Jesus said, we are first to go to that person privately. Privately. Just them. Just them. You see, we're commanded to talk to that person before we talk about that person. Amen? I don't know, for some reason in a church, I know this is a cornflake box. This, this represents hurt right now. You know, sometimes they can hurt you if you toe box. And, and, and uh, sometimes Christians, like, like, like we think that somehow we can baptize our hurt and make it okay to talk about it to other people without talking about that person, right? Well, I was hurt, and I kind of baptized it because I was really just talking about it with my Christian friends. Well, well, you know, Mike Drew hurt me. He didn't. I'm making this up, so don't be smacking Mike. You know, Mike Drew hurt me, and, 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 and here's what he did to me. I, I've not talked to Mike, but I'm just sharing that in my group to be prayed about, right? And we think that's okay. Church, it's not. We need to become a church that talks first to the person. And so if someone comes to... You know, to me and says, hey, you know, Mike Drew is an idiot. I gotta say, well, yeah, you may be right. No, I gotta say, no, I gotta say, wait a second, you know, have you talked to Mike? Then why are you talking to me? I'm not talking to you. And just walk away. Just walk away. And I didn't make it up. If you have any problem with these rules, you check it out with Jesus, right? That's what Jesus said to do. And we become a church that actually practices that, right? Say, no, no, I'm not gonna, I haven't talked to them. I'm not gonna talk to you. Has anybody ever violated that? Raise your hand, all right? And if you haven't, keep your hand down if you're a liar, okay? It's, that's, that's good. Got a lot of liars in the room. I feel, I feel very comfortable. Um, you know, and, 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 and Peter was also, I think he asked this question because guess what? I think somebody heard him. I, I think somebody heard him, and Peter wants to know, hey, just how far does this forgiveness thing really go, Jesus? And understand, Peter was probably expecting Jesus to commend them for being so gracious. You see, the rabbis taught that, hey, you should forgive someone three times, and then after that, lower the boom. Peter said, hey, you know what? I think I'll, like, double it, add one, make it seven. Seven's a great Bible number. You know, and be perfectly honest, you know, to forgive someone seven times when they hurt you is pretty good. Because I don't know about you, sometimes I have a hard time forgiving somebody uh, the first time that they hurt me. So what Peter said, it's pretty impressive. You see, Peter thought by saying seven, he was doing really good, that he was turning the other cheek, that he was going the second mile. But the truth is, Peter wanted some kind of legal limit where he could finally say, okay, that's it. No more Mr. Nice Guy. And so when he throws out that number, he's very confident Jesus will give him a compliment. He's expecting this. Peter, are you kidding me? You'd forgive seven. Peter, you're amazing. Man, why I can't the other disciples be like you? You are so incredible. That's what he's expecting. Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, maybe for you, it's not a certain amount. Maybe it's the degree of the offense. It's not that they sinned against you seven times. It's that they sinned against you times seven. <laughs> because that's how significantly they've hurt you, how deeply they wounded you. And again, I really think that Peter is talking about someone specific. I wonder who it was. Was it, was it Peter? Was it, was it John? 
Was it James? Was it Andrew? Was it Judas? Was it his mother-in-law? Jesus, why did you have to raise her? Why did you have to make her well? It probably wasn't his mother-in-law. Um, and I think it's safe to assume that it was probably someone that Peter knew quite well. Now, there's some exceptions to this. I mean, every now and then, someone will come into our lives very briefly and wreak havoc, right? And then they catch the bus and they're gone and we never see them again. But for most of us, the people who hurt us the most are the people that we love, right? Because to those people, we give those people our hearts. And when you give somebody your heart, you give them the power to hurt you. You give them the power to cause damage, amen? And you know what? I think Peter's question is probably a question that we would like to know the answer to. Now that you ask, Peter, like, I'd kind of like to know the answer too. Like, Jesus, how far is too far? Jesus, how much is too much? Jesus, when does grace run out? And so Peter sets up this equation because here's what Peter wants to know. Okay, Jesus, when does this grace is greater than end? Uh, Jesus, when does the hurt in my life, when does the pain that's been caused me, Jesus, when does this become the new equation that I'm allowed to live by? When does my hurt become greater than grace? And Jesus says, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And the Greek is actually literally 70 times, seven, not 70 times. Seven, I talk fast because I got a lot to say. I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. In the Greek, it's actually 70 times seven. And the sound you just heard is Peter dropping over unconscious. He couldn't believe it. Are you kidding me, Jesus, 490 times? I'm saying, well, Jesus is saying, Peter, you got it all wrong. You, you, don't, you don't count the number of times you forgive somebody because forgiveness is unlimited. You see, it's not that we're to say 298, 299, 300, only 190 to go. And then I get to do it. I get to bring it. No. 70 times 7 means that there's no limit to the number of times that we forgive somebody. Get it? Good. I know it sounds crazy. I know it sounds unrealistic. I know it's not natural. I know it sounds impossible, unfair. But remember, we who live in his kingdom, we who have surrendered our lives to and follow Jesus are to no longer live like those in the world live. Instead, we're to live in a new and better country. We're to live in a new and better kingdom. We're to live in a kingdom in a place, one where grace reigns. And where we are supernaturally, because of the Holy Spirit, is a spring of living water welling up inside of us where we are supernaturally empowered to live different lives. Now, when we hear Jesus say that, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times, we probably accept that as truth. I mean, we're like, well, okay, Jesus said it. Grace is greater than 70 times seven. I mean, if that's what he says. However, emotionally, this concept is really hard to get our arms around, isn't it? I mean, yeah, we may acknowledge it's true, but it doesn't feel true. I mean, if you're the one who's been hurt, if you're the one who's been left, if you're the one who's been abandoned, if you're the one who's been betrayed, if you're the one who's been mistreated and abused, if that's you, then you might say that's true, but it just doesn't feel true. Because I don't know about you, sometimes my grace tank doesn't seem like it has anything in it. Sometimes it seems like grace does run dry. And so Jesus says, hey, I want to help you understand this. I'm going to tell you a story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. 
As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now, that was not an unusual thing in Jesus' day, imprisonment for debt. Very common. You know, number one, to keep people from escaping, and number two, to motivate the family to pay up. But remember, this debt is unpayable. Uh, therefore, this man and his wife and his children would be in prison from one generation to the next. They never could pay off the debt. But listen, this action would not surprise uh, Jesus' listeners, because they know the rule of the world. You owe, you pay. You owe, you pay. You owe, you pay. And so this is the story of a king who wanted to settle counts. And one guy owed him a very large debt. Now I want to talk about the size of that debt for a minute. Understand before talent meant skill, it meant money. It represents the largest unit of accounting in the Greek currency, uh, 10,000 denarii. And a denarii was equal to one day's wage. So multiply your daily wage by 10,000, you discover the value of a talent. Check this out. In a whole year, all the taxes collected in Judea and Samaria that went to Rome added up to 600 talents. So let's assume that you earn $45,000 a year, you annually work 260 days, you make $173 a day. A talent, in your case, is valued at 10,000 times $173, or $1,733,000. Therefore, 10,000 talents is $17.3 billion. Now, 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 why is Jesus using such a large number? That this guy, to teach us that this guy owes a debt that he will never be able to pay. Now let's hit the pause button for a minute. Because this is really a story about the human race. In fact, this is my story. And this is your story. And this is your story. And this is your story. Jesus says there's a king, there's a God who's extremely generous, who's full of mercy and grace, who's also painstakingly just. And every one of us has accumulated a mountain of unpayable debt before him. And listen, we add to the debt all the time by the things we do and the things we don't do by our sins. Kind of like our national debt clock, which I went online and took a quick, you know, a picture of this morning, you know, on my phone. Let's see that picture, okay? That's our debt, you know. You know, it's like, it's like it kept going up real fast, like boom, boom, $17,000, boom, boom, boom. And I kind of, this morning I thought, wow, that's kind of like my sin, right? It's like, $18 trillion. I understand anytime we are less than honest, anytime we lie, anytime we fudge an expense account or, or a tax return, anytime we twist the truth to make ourselves look better, anytime we're unloving to our kids, anytime we're unkind to our spouse, disrespectful to our parents, every time we speak a reckless word that hurts somebody else, every time we know the right thing to do and we don't do it, every time that God gives us a gift and we're not grateful for it, every time we've gossiped, every time we slandered, every time we've torn down other people with our tongue, every selfish act, every racist joke, every impure act or deed, every judgmental attitude, every malicious behavior is adding to that mountain of unpaid debt all the time. And so Matthew 18 begins with this reminder we talked about last week, that we all owe a huge debt to God. But brothers and sisters, praise the Lord because God's grace is greater than our mistakes. 
God's grace is greater than those failures that are adding up. God's grace is greater than our sins, all 17.3 billion of them. Amen? And then Jesus' story gets interesting. Something happens in the mind of the servant, and he's desperate. He has nothing to lose, so like Aaron Rodgers, right, recently, he throws up a Hail Mary pass. The servant fell on his knees before him, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything. Now notice his exact request. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything. No, you won't. <laughs> no, you won't. No, you won't. It's $17.3 billion. Understand, if he worked 360 day, days, 365 days a year at 173 dollars per day, it would take him 273,972 years to pay it off. I don't know. I don't think it's happening. I mean, what are the odds of an unemployed guy in prison with his family locked up in jail paying back that kind of debt? It's a joke. It's impossible. It's like promising to empty the Atlantic Ocean with a teaspoon. It's never going to happen. At best, it's an insult to the king's intelligence. Understand, the king knows as soon as the, re the request is made that there's no way this guy is going to be able to do it. And again, all of Jesus' listeners know that, what to expect. They know, the, they know the rule. They know that the economy of this world, you owe, you pay. And so they wait for the ax to fall. They wait for the hammer to come down, but it never does. The servant's master took pity on him. And his frightened, selfish, desperate fool cancel the debt, and let him go. The master does two things. He, in the original text, he does it in this order. First, he releases the man, no prison, saves his family, frees his children, gives them back his home. He's released, and then he goes way beyond that, and he cancels and forgives this unpayable debt. And remember, this is a mountain of debt, a huge sum of money. And this debt doesn't just disappear. I mean, somebody, ha somebody has to take the loss question, who takes the hit? Who pays? The king pays. Are you kidding me? Now, understand, the master is offering a, a new system of debt management. You owe, I'll pay. You owe, I'll pay. It's the economy of grace. It's a new way of his kingdom. Yeah, yeah, I know it's crazy, but the king says, I, I will pay your unpayable debt. I'll take the hit. I'll suffer the loss. It's all on me. You can go free. You owe. I'll pay. Now imagine what happens when this guy calls home and he tells his wife, hey, we're not going to lose our home. We're not going to jail. We got our life back. It's incredible. The debt's gone, and it's all because of the economy of grace. Jesus continues the story. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. That's 100 days wages. $173 times 100 is $17,300, a significant amount, but not anywhere close to owing 10,000 talents or $17.3 billion. Again, working 365 days per year, it would take you not 100 days to pay off your debt, but 100 million days to pay back your debt. Yeah, this time he's the one that's owed the money, but to a much lesser degree. He grabbed the man and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me. You owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. Sound familiar? 
He's saying the very same thing that this guy had just said to the king, but to a much lesser degree. Question, if you never heard this story, and you, like if you're watching this on like Hallmark over the Christmas season, right? Hallmark TV channel, right? What do you think is going to happen, especially if it's at the end of the show, right? The music's playing. You think, of course he's going to forget. I mean, he's just forgiven this huge debt, $17.3 million. He's going he's gonna to so forgive, be so excited to forgive. He's going to extend grace. Of course he's going to do that. But he refused. He said he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Now, now verse 31 is really important. We kind of sometimes read over it or sometimes misinterpret it and think they're, these other servants are a bunch of tattletales, right? And they're not tattletales. Um, when the other servants saw what happened, they were what? They were outraged. And went and told the master everything that had happened. Why were they outraged? Be- because they-, they all lived in this community where they have a-, a master who does not treat them as servants, but treats them as sons and daughters. They all live in this community where they have a king who does not treat their debt as their debt deserves. Because they all have this same king who is over-the-top, merciful, generous, and gracious. And when one of their own receives that kind of grace and then refuses to give it, it's a big problem. And they are outraged. And Now, it may seem a little out of place within a message on grace to be talking about outrage. But understand, grace is the only way this community works. Grace is the only way God's family works. Grace is the only way his church will ever work. Listen, it just will not work if you and I receive grace, but we refuse to give grace. Are you tracking with me? And so when we see brothers and sisters who have received God's grace act ungraciously, that's a problem, a big problem. Amen? I mean, when we see someone who's received incredible grace start being judgmental, ungracious, and unforgiving, that's a problem. And, and so within this parable, there's also a call for some, some, some um, righteous outrage. Uh, there's a call for the church. There's a call for Jesus followers to not be okay with ungrace, to not be okay with gracism, to not be okay with somebody being a gracist. And here's what those words mean. I got introduced to them this week, and I played with them and kind of make them my own. Uh, Gracism. Here's what it means. I deserve to have grace, but certain people who do not meet my standards because of who they are or what they've done to me do not. That's gracism. That's gracism. And here's what it means to be a gracist. Gracist, a person who's quick to ask and accept grace but refuses to extend that same grace to certain people. Have you ever been a gracist? Have you ever practiced gracism? Brothers and sisters, it's not okay when one of our own, when a fellow Christian is judgmental, condemning, bitter, unforgiving, gossiping about someone else who comes in and looks a little different or struggles with something different or is just a mess or who's made a mistake, because that's us. I mean, we're all messed up, and we're all in need of grace. Listen, listen, 
ungrace, gracelessness, gracism, and being a gracist, you know, gracelessness, ungrace, gracism, and being a gracist is not okay. Get it? And so the master finds out about this guy who received grace and would not give it. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Which, when you're in, I don't know what the pay scale in prison is back in the first century, but $17.3 billion could take a little bit of time, like forever, like it's never going to happen. He's never going to pay it back. He's going to spend the rest of his existence in that prison, living without, with the overwhelming guilt of what he did. And you know where he's at? You know what that place he's at? It's called, it's called hell. And that's what happens here. You know, many times when Jesus tells a parable, he wants us to go home and think about it. Marinate on it. Reflect on it. He's kind of vague. Hey, go home and think, not here. <laughs> he's not vague here. He said, man, I, I, he says, hey, I want you all to get the point. And here's, here's the point right here. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from the heart, you know, unless it's real. Now, Amelia, some of you may want to push back on that. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute, Steve. Are you telling me that, that if I don't forgive the person who hurt me, that if I don't give, forgive the person who betrayed me, mistreated me, lied about me, hurt me, hurt somebody I love, you, you, are you telling me that if I do not forgive them, that I will not be forgiven? No, I'm not telling you that. Jesus is. Jesus is. And if that terrifies you, it should. It should terrify us. Brothers and sisters, the truth that Jesus is wanting to make perfectly clear in this parable is that if we think it's okay to receive grace and not give it, if we think it's okay to be forgiven and not forgive, if we think it's okay to bask in our bitterness, to reside in our resentment, to grip, tight, to, to grip tightly that grudge, to keep a record of wrongs, to let our hurt become hate, to, to let our madness become malicious behavior, we are wrong. Wrong. We're dead wrong, and it could result in not, us not getting to spend eternity with God. Grace is greater than our hurts. Yeah, I know it's not fair. I know that. It's because these people owe you something, right? I mean, it's right here in black and white. They owe you $17,300 in hurt. No, it's not right. But here's the deal. Jesus will never ask you and I to forgive anybody more than we've already freed from him in forgiveness, Right? We're never going to be asked to give anybody more forgiveness than Jesus has already given us. Amen? Amen? So Jesus answers Peter's equation with an equation of his own. And here's the equation. 17.3 billion, I don't know if you knew this, it's greater than $17,300. He's like, hey, Pete, Pete, I'm not sure if you know this. I know you didn't do well in math. Recess was your favorite subject. But Pete, I want you to know that what you have been forgiving is so much greater than what you will ever be asked to forgive. And this is not to make light of what you have to forgive. It's not to make light of it. 
It simply means that the more you understand the holiness of God, the more you understand yourself, the more you'll realize how true this is. And if this equation doesn't make sense to you, if you do not want to accept it, you do not really understand the gospel and you do not really understand and know yourself. Listen, if the biggest sinner you know isn't you, that's the problem. If the biggest sinner you know isn't you, then you do not know yourself very well. Amen? I mean, I know a whole lot more about my sins than yours. So we've been forgiven this dead, and the Bible says, forgive as the Lord forgave us. And now as we wrap up, I want to give a few quick equations that will hopefully help us choose grace whenever we are hurt. First, grace is greater than repayment. Now, repayment is the idea that that, that they have to make it right. That's repayment. The person who hurt us has to make it right. And when I grew up, I was taught as a child that, that if, if I hurt someone, if I was disrespectful, if I, if I was disobedient, whatever it was, that my job was to make it right. And so I needed to say something or I needed to do something to make it right with that person, which is a good lesson for a child to learn. But, but, but it developed in my mind this kind of unbiblical approach to forgiveness and grace because here's what I figured out in my head. Hey, when it comes to forgiveness, when someone hurts me, forgiveness comes when that person who hurts me makes things right. Yeah, yeah. When they say something, when they do something to make things right, then I will forgive them. But the problem is when they say something or do something, then I will forgive them. But the problem is that's not forgiveness. That's not grace. That's justice. Yes, in the flesh, we want repayment. But let me ask you, what do you do when you're, hurt, when, you're hurt is, when you're hurt so badly that there's nothing that can be said and there's nothing that can be done to make it right? Like, like Mary Bird. I mean, okay, what can you say or do to make it right when you murdered her only son? Question, what are you going to do then? I understand it's going to happen if it hasn't happened yet where someone does something to you that is so wrong and so hurtful that the moment you find out about it, you know that there's nothing they could ever do or say to make it right. And that's where grace comes in. The Bible says in verse 27 that the king canceled the debt. The idea is that he erased it completely. He didn't just extend the note or say, hey, let's go interest only for a while. He canceled the debt. Maple Grove, that is what God has done for us. It's not earned. And now trust may need to be earned, but grace is never earned. Understand, brothers and sisters, if you make grace dependent on the person who hurts you making things right, if you make grace dependent on the person who hurts you making things right, then you need to find another word for it because it is not grace. Get it? Get it? Okay, good. I know. I get it. I got it. It's good. Grace is greater than repayment. Grace is greater than revenge. Now, maybe they hurt you. They should not have treated you that way. Maybe you have the power to get even, but forgiveness releases that right. It says no to getting even. It says no to the you hurt me, I'll hurt you back philosophy of life. Grace cancels the debt. Grace cancels the debt that they owe you because of the pain that they caused you. Grace cancels the debt that they owe you because of the pain that they caused you. Remember, if there's to be any justice, we need to leave that in the hands of God. Paul said this in Romans chapter 12. 
Do not repay evil for evil. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I'll repay, says the Lord. You say, if I give up my rights to get even with somebody who's hurt me, that's unfair. You're right. It is unfair. But whoever said forgiveness was fair? I mean, was it fair for the body of Jesus Christ to be broken? Was it fair for the body of Jesus Christ, his blood to be shed for your wrong and for my wrong? Was that fair? No, that was not fair. And so we released the right to get even. That's what it says in verse 27. He canceled the debt and let him go. Let him go. Brothers and sisters, today, February the 7th, 2016, Jesus is telling you, he's commanding you to let them go. Let him go. Let her go. Hold your hands out like this and just do that. Let it go. Let it go. It's not fair. I, I know it's not fair, but nevertheless, let them go. And, and let me be clear, this letting go thing does not mean that you're not going to hurt. No, giving grace does not mean that you won't feel pain anymore. In fact, in some ways, grace means that we are choosing to, to, to live with the, with the pain and the consequences of another person's sins because they can't make it right. I, I mean, they can try to make it right, but ultimately, when you're really hurt, there's nothing they can say, there's nothing they can do it just, it just hurts. And that's where grace comes in. Grace is greater than repayment. Grace is greater than revenge. Grace is greater than resentment. Now, resentment is this approach to hurt. It's an approach that says, uh, I'm going to quietly become, I'm just going to quietly become more and more angry about the situation, which is how many of us handle hurt, right? From people close to us. We just keep feeding the offense. We keep reliving the pain. We keep rehearsing the hurt. We keep playing, pushing the play button and, and, and reliving again and again and again how they hurt us, how they mistreated us, how it was unfair. And so we quietly become more and more angry. Uh, but, but listen, when when you choose resentment and I choose resentment, who pays? You do. I do. I, I mean, who's held captive in prison? I am. You are. Check out these words from a really smart guy. Frederick Berkner, he says, of all the deadly sins, resentment appears to be the most fun. <laughs> to lick your wounds... And savor the pain that you will give back is in many ways a feast fit for a king. But then it turns out that you are eating at the bank. Then it turns out that what you're eating at the banquet of bitterness is your own heart. The skeleton at the feast is you. You start holding a grudge. In the end, the grudge holds you. Wow, what a powerful story in Matthew 18 that Jesus gives in response to not only Peter's question, but to our question as well. Jesus, do I really have to forgive them? Jesus, they, they hurt me so bad. They don't even acknowledge it, God. They, Jesus, they do not deserve it. Jesus, when is my hurt greater than grace? Jesus says, Steve, never. It's never. 
Brothers and sisters, we stand before a mighty and holy God and our our sins are piled up like a great mountain. It is so high we cannot get over it. It's so deep we cannot go under it. It's so wide we cannot go around it. And that is every single one of us in this room. Our sins are, are like a debt that we could never pay in our lifetime or in 100 million days or ever. Uh, we come to God with this massive debt and empty hands, and, and, and we say to God, God, I can't pay. God, it's too much. God, it's too big. And, and our God is rich in grace and mercy. He says, Steve, that's okay. That's okay. Steve, I'll pay. Steve, I'll have my son Jesus pay. He'll, Jesus will pay your debt with his blood, Steve. Steve, you owe me nothing. Steve, You owe, I'll pay. Here's your your line is Jesus paid three times and I can move on. You owe, I didn't give you your line. Uh, Your line is Jesus paid. Did I give you your line? Uh, Okay. I gave it. Okay. Your line is Jesus paid. Sorry. Um, um, Okay. Okay. People say I talk fast. I don't know if it's true or not. Uh, (laughs) Is it true? Okay. Hey, you know your line, but really think about it because you're messed up, right? You owe? Jesus paid. You owe? Jesus paid. You owe? Jesus paid. Amen. Amen. You see, that's the perspective that Jesus gives us and wants us to live out. He wants his grace to become a spring of living water welling up from within us and flowing out from us. Someone has said that, that we, are, we, are, we are most like beasts when we kill. We are most like men when we judge. And we're most like God when we what? Boom. Boom. We are most like beasts when we kill, most like men when we judge, most like God when we forgive. I, I, I don't know. If you can find a place, show me. I, I've looked through the Bible. I see no example of God saying, hey, you know what, Todd Cowboy, we needed to go to Starbucks because we need to talk. And he goes, Todd, you know what? You're just too forgiving, Todd. Todd, you're always showing mercy and grace to people. You keep forgiving people, and it's really starting to get up in my grill, right? Never happens. Never happens. No one is ever condemned for being too forgiving. We are most like God when we forgive. Who do you want to be like? Like God and forgive? Like man and judge? Or like beast and kill? And so let me kind of sum up. The key to giving grace, I mean hard, difficult, I don't want to give it. I would rather choke you, grace, you pay me back, I owe you. All right? Come on. You've been there. Some of you are thinking about me, too. Uh, the key to giving grace is to stop thinking about what's been done to you and to start thinking about what Jesus has done for you. That's it. It's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying we have to stop. When the bitterness starts to grow, when the rage starts to set in, we have to stop and we have to think. We have to stop thinking about what's been done to us, and we need to replace it with thoughts of what Jesus has done for us. Because here's the deal. Here's how it works. I don't totally get it, but it's just how it works, right? Right? You know, the more we understand 
You know, those who have been forgiven much love much. The more we understand how much we be forgiving, the more we understand how much grace God has poured on us, the more easy it is for us to give grace to those who have hurt us. Now, this week I, I did a lot of like searching up, you know, greatest acts of forgiveness, and I Googled it. Man, this is crazy stuff out there. That's how I found Mary Bird. And, and here's another crazy act of forgiveness. Um, you may have heard of a, a lady named Corey Timboom, and, and, and she talks about forgiveness in this clip right here. Really zero into what she has to say to us. Amen. Would you stand and pray with me? Father God, we humbly come into your presence, and God, we acknowledge, and you know that you know, some of us in this room have been hurt. Not once, not twice, a lot. And God, the, the wounds are deep, and, and everything in us wants them to make it right. And Father, I pray that right now you would start a grace movement in our hearts, that we will forgive because we have been forgiven. Father God, I, I, I pray, Lord, that today is a day, Lord, that grace, your kind of grace, not just the receiving of it, but the giving of it becomes the heartbeat of this church. Through your Holy Spirit, give us the power to forgive those who have hurt us, that maybe have conversations that we need to have. And God, help us to be, help us to overlook the silly offenses that get us all upset sometimes, Lord. And for those deep, deep, deep wounds that are real and painful, give us the strength to forgive and to trust you. And Father, I pray for those in this room who have yet to experience your grace, God, that they would, they would know it. That they would know it today. God, you are faithful, and we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.